Have you ever been scared? Anybody? Raise of hands. Anybody ever been scared in their entire lives? All right, guys, we're not part of the Frozen Chosen. You can participate. Uh, we are all scared. We have all been scared in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you're like me, has anybody poorly handled how they were scared? Like, it, the way they responded, it was just, you look back on it, you're like, am I five? Like, what is going on? Um, I have been on a couple missions trips to Togo, West Africa, and that place is a special place in my heart. Um, I've lived there for a total of two and a half months. I love that place. Um, and one day we're going to take a trip. I'm going to take as many of you are willing to pay for it uh, over to Togo, West Africa on a missions trip. But um, there was one time, it was my second trip to Togo. I was 17 years old, and I had a good relationship with the missionary over there. He's one of the greatest mentors and friends I have. Um, and I went with a group of other high school seniors. I, was, I just graduated high school. There was two other people my age. Everybody else were juniors or sophomores. And so we arrive in Togo and, um, sorry, we arrive in Ghana, which is right next to Togo, and we're driving our way to Togo. And um, on the way, we have to stop at this hotel. And um, so as we stop, uh, there's a buddy of mine named Frank who is Togolese. He speaks good English. And um, my previous time over there when we ran a basketball camp, we became really good friends. And so um, it, it was cool to see him. And we were just talking and, and joking with each other. And we get to this hotel, and the missionary there, um, he's checking us in. And he didn't book enough rooms. Um, there wasn't enough room. There were two people that they didn't have rooms for or beds for, and there was no place we could stay on, in the compound. It was a nice gated compound, made you feel safe in this country, and they were going to have breakfast served in bed for you. It was going to be amazing. There was a nice little pool in the place. And so um, I look at the missionary. I was like, man, that sucks for you. Like, It's just other than the high schoolers that are there, it's literally just the missionary and Frank. Um, the missionary, uh, who's a good friend of mine, and then Frank, who's Togolese, like, I'm assuming they're going to go find something else to do. And um, the missionary goes, what do you mean it sucks for me? It sucks for you. I'm like, oh, man, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm going to send you and Frank to a hotel down the, down the street so I can stay with the group. I was like, no, you're going to go with Frank to a hotel down the street so I can stay with the group. He goes, no, man, you've been here before. You're good friends with Frank. You know the ropes. If anything happens, I trust the two of you more than anybody else in this group. I'm like, I trust you two, if anything happens, more than anybody else in their group. He's like, no, you're going to go. So it's a little bit of back and forth, and eventually I'm like, all right, man. So it's like 1 in the morning. He calls us a taxi, and me and Frank get in the back of this taxi in the middle of Africa. My mom knew what ha was happening. She would have flipped. We get in this taxi, and we go about 200 yards down the road. And the taxi driver stops and goes, here you are. I'm like, bro, there's no hotel. He was like, you're going to go through, there was a, like a covering of trees. It was like a little tunnel into the woods. He was like, you're going to walk down this road, um, and then it'll open up into a hotel. I'm like, bro, this is how I die, like straight up. And he's like, no, that, I promise you. And this is, uh, in Togo, they speak French, and so this is Frank translating it to me. And I'm telling Frank, like, we will die. And Frank's like, no, 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 he promises. He's, I trust him, I trust him. I'm like, I Frank. So we get our suitcases. We're walking down this dark path that's covered. It's pitch black and eventually opens up into this courtyard. And along the path, I'm telling Frank, I'm like, Frank, I know you, I know you don't watch movies, but let me explain to you what happens in movies in America. This is where we die. And I, he was like, what do you mean? I was like, this is where we die. And in uh, movies, the tour guide always dies first. 
So I'm not saying anything, Frank, but if we die, odds are you will die first. I will make it to tell the people what's happening, and then I will die, and then maybe they'll escape. Um, he's like, and you could see, like, some fear started to come over his face. I'm like, he's like, I trust JJ. That's the missionary's name. I'm like, I, Frank, I, at this point, I don't trust JJ, but it is what it is. And so we go to check in at this hotel, and I kid you not, it's this man it's one in the morning, let me remind you, he's smoking pot, he has a pig beside him, and on this giant screen where it should be the security camera, um, and this is just, I can't make this up, he's watching porn. <laughs> and so I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, what, what is happening right now? And so we check in, and the porn pot pig man, like, hands us our keys, and we go to the room, and where you walk into the room... Like, it's a glass door that opens up into a hallway, and the glass is shattered. So I just step over the, like, through the door. I didn't have to open it. I step through the door, and, um, like, the lights are flickering. I cannot make this up, and it's my first day back in Togo after a year. And I go to open up the door. The door just opens by itself. I'm like, this key is stupid. Like, I don't even know why I need the key. Um, I open the door. I go, Frank, man, it's been a long day. I'm going to take a shower. I go to turn on the water. The water's brown. I'm like, I'm not going to take a shower. I just, I don't know. what I'm. I open up um, the covers to get in bed, and there are three cockroaches in the bed. I throw the covers back on. I was like, Frank, I'm just going to lay on the floor in my book bag. He was like, are you sure? I'm like, Frank. And then we hear, like, people, like, yelling all around us. Like, people are, like, having arguments. Um, it's thin walls, so use your imagination. And I'm just like, Frank. Why are we here? And Frank is like, I trust JJ. I trust JJ. I'm like, Frank, this is how we die. And he's like, I could see fear. So I, I just put my head on my book bag, and I just I close my eyes. And after about 30 minutes of me somewhat getting some rest, I wake up to Frank shaking me. And I wake up. I'm like, what, 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 what? He goes, Trey, I've heard some noises. We got to go. I'm like, yep. <laughs> I, I'm like, we're gone. I am not the traditional white guy in most movies that's like, let's investigate. I'm like, let's get out of here. We're going. I've seen how this plays out. So we grab our bags. We grab the key. We run out the door. I throw the key at the porn pot pig man. We're headed back down out to the road. We run 200 yards. JJ walks out of the compound come morning to come and see how we were doing. I'm laying, I'm sitting up straight up outside of the compound on the wall in the dirt. That's how I fell asleep that night. That was my first night back in Togo. And JJ had the audacity to get upset at me. He had the audacity to get upset. Here's why he got upset at me. He goes, you convinced Frank that this was unsafe. You convinced Frank that this was a place that you were going to die. Now, he wasn't actually mad. He was making a joke. Like, don't think, like, too little of him. He was like, you convinced him that you were going to die, so of course he's going to listen to you, and of course he's going to tell you to go, but I promise you, you were okay. Was I? He was like, yes, gross, but okay. Like, you were fine. Yes, it was going to be messy, but I knew you were going to be Okay. And I tell that story to say this. Isn't that how it can feel sometimes? We feel unsafe and we start to panic and we start to feel fearful. And then we turn around and try to convince others this is not okay. 
This is, this is a bad situation we're in, people. This is unsafe. We begin to become frantic. And when we let fear and suffering become suffocating, we have to convince the rest of the world that they're underwater with us. Why is that a problem? Why is that an issue? Why, why, is, that, um, why, why is that a problem according to Scripture, because what if Scripture says something different? What if Scripture actually, 365 times in Scripture, it says in some variation, do not be afraid or do not fear. Now, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of peace and of a sound mind. And so the emotion of fear, whenever we become fearful, that's not wrong. It's emotion. It's what we do with that emotion that matters. It's what we do with that emotion that makes an impact on the world around us. And here's why it matters, church. And this is what we're going to get to this morning. Because if we have a hope in Jesus but yet we freak out and tell everybody else it's not going to be okay. What kind of a message are we preaching? What kind of a message are we living? That we're scared and that we're fearful. Whenever the gospel that we believe says we should be otherwise. Let's define fear. When, when we talk about fear, when we talk about these different things, I want to give a biblical definition of fear. Here's what I believe fear is. Fear is being overwhelmed by broken creation over being confident in a perfect creator. Fear is being overwhelmed with, with, with anxiety, with depression, with, 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 with fear, with being scared by broken creation, which has been broken since Genesis chapter 3, since the beginning, over being confident in the perfect creator. Most Christians do not handle fear and suffering and being scared well. But I want to give you a super universal galactic truth that should dwarf the thing that has you so worked up that keeps you up at night. You ready for this? There is a God. And he's the one that keeps your heartbeat. He's the one that taught you to breathe before you even knew how to breathe. He's the one that knew your name and your story before your parents or grandparents even knew each other. And he is actually in control. That may be the hardest truth humanity has to come to grips with, is that there is somebody in control of this thing called the universe, and it is not you and it is not me. His name is Jesus. And that may be the hardest reality that you and I ever have to accept. If you're a parent or you're not too removed from childhood, or you remember your childhood well, maybe you remember this. Whenever you thought that there was something scary under your bed or in your closet, who did you run to go and check to make sure that everything was okay? Your dad. You would run and be like, Dad, can you check? I think there's something really scary in there and I can't sleep. I'm so fearful. And he would open it up and you knew if it was an eight-foot lizard person, no matter what happened, your dad was going to win. 
That's why you had the confidence to go to bed after that. That's why you had the security that, like, no matter what, my dad was going to win that battle. No matter what was under my bed or no matter what was in my closet, my dad was going to win. And it removed all fear because he had checked. And when he turned around and said, buddy, you're good. I'm going to be right outside. I'm with you. I'm with you. There's no need to be afraid. As a kid, you were like, that's good enough for me. But when it comes to us being adults and our heavenly father looks at us and he goes, guys, it will work out. Guys, though the storm may be around us, I want you to understand that I am also in control of the storm. And that's not enough for us. This is like when Paul says you need to have childlike faith. I want that childlike faith for you. I want it for me. And God wants it for me that when God says it's going to be okay, that no matter what happens in the world around us or in our homes and our personal lives, that we can look at him and go, if you said it, it's okay with me. And this morning, I don't want to minimize your fears. I want to address them and help you reassure that God's power is greater than the world's problems. In the book of Philippians, which is where we're going to be, I want to remind you a little bit of context of where we are. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is writing this letter to the church in Philippi in prison. There are chains around his wrists and around his ankles. This prison that he's in, the majority of Roman prisons did not have windows. They did not have AC. Uh, It was in a basement, probably in some moldy, disease-ridden place, and he's bleeding. All he has is this little candlelight to write this letter, and this whole letter is about joy. And so Paul's writing this letter to this church, and this church is scared, and here's why they're scared. They're scared that what happened to Paul for proclaiming the gospel is going to happen to them. That one day they might be put in chains. One day they might be arrested. And here's something that Paul is trying to communicate with them that he wants to communicate with you. Here's something that God was trying to communicate to this church that God is also trying to communicate to the church today. And I made this statement last week, but I, I, I want to reinforce it this week. So if you missed last week, okay, here's, here's kind of the bottom line. And here's something I really want us to comprehend and understand. That we need to find joy and knowing that our ultimate hope is greater than our immediate fear. Find joy in knowing that our ultimate hope is greater than our immediate fear. Here's what I mean when I say that. God is bigger and greater than anything we face, and where we're headed is better than any place we are today. You may say, well, there's not a whole lot of joy to find on this earth. I guess we have to wait till we're in heaven to find joy. Now it's just about, you know, kind of twiddling our thumbs while we're on this planet. Yeah, I'll have fun with my family, but true joy in the middle of this world, not happening. I'll just wait till I'm in heaven till I find joy. That's not how God designed us to live. The gospel says, Jesus even said, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly abundant joy, abundant love, abundant peace, abundant hope. All the fruits of the spirits in abundance. And you find joy from following Jesus. And here are some ways that Paul found his ultimate hope. Here are some ways that Paul found joy in his ultimate hope. Just a couple of quick thoughts. Um, Number one, there is joy when and where the gospel is preached. 
There is joy in when and where the gospel is preached. Here's what I mean by that. In Philippians chapter 1, we read verses 1 through 14 last week. This week, we're going to start out in verse 15. It says this. This is Paul writing in this letter. He says, It is true that some preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoiced. I'm going to get at it from a really clear contextual standpoint and try to uh, flesh it out in our modern day, but then I'm going to get really practical in in just a, a couple of minutes. Here's what he's writing, and here's what he's saying. He is saying that there are preachers and pastors in his day and age that are taking advantage of the fact that he's in jail to belittle his name to build his own kingdom. He is, well, he is saying that there are some preachers in, in, in Philippi, there are some preachers in Rome and Ephesus and Colossae that are saying, look at Paul. He got arrested. He's not even a good, outstanding citizen. The true gospel says this. And then, yes, they preach Jesus. And, yes, they preach the death, burial, and resurrection. But they don't do it for the overall church. They do it for their own personal gain, to get money in their pockets, to grow their own flock. And it is all done out of selfish ambition. Let's go modern day church. If you've grown up in the church, you've been around the church long enough, you know that there are churches that hate on other churches for their own gain to make themselves feel better. There are pastors who stand in the pulpit that stand up and they preach against certain ministries to make themselves feel better and then they sprinkle in the gospel when needed. And I'm here to tell you, at harvest, that will not be us. I am glad that churches like Grace Community Church exist. I am glad that churches like Heart Cry exist. I am glad that churches like Canoe Creek exist. I am glad churches like Cornerstone exist, that, fam- that Life Church exists. And any other church I have missed, you know, he didn't mention that church. What's the T? There is no T. I just can't remember the name. There's a church right across the street that meets in an elementary school, Harmony Community Church. I'm glad that they're there. Why are you glad that they're there? Aren't they they the competition? Absolutely not. As long as they are preaching Jesus that he came, lived a sinless life, and that he died a sinner's death that you and I deserve to die, and that three days later when all seemed hopeless, when hell was rejoicing, and and earth seemed to be mourning, that God removed the stone away from the grave, he walked out and said, hell, you're defeated. Heaven has won, and this salvation that I have given, the defeat over death, hell, and the grave is now offered to any human who ever walks this earth who will accept my free gift of salvation. If they preach that, I am glad that they are here. And once we get to the point where we are self-sustaining and a new church plants wants to come, even if they want to go right down the street, I'm going to look at that pastor and say, how can we help you get here? Because this church is not enough to reach the city. We're not, when you say, well, they're preaching this, I'm here to say, what does it matter though? I want an attitude like Paul. That when people say, well, you know, this church is doing this, well, you know, this ministry is doing this, I'm going to be like, I, I don't really care. Are they preaching the gospel? Well, yes, then good for them. Don't you want to hate on them? No. 
I don't want to divide us any more than we currently are. I love that, that phrase, what does it matter though? Paul was just glad that people were hearing about Jesus. In the midst of prison and fear, he rejoiced that people were coming to know Jesus. And I want you to be encouraged with this, that people are still coming to know Jesus. In this church and in the churches I just named, people today will accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And I want to pause and thank God in advance for that fact. Can we thank God that somebody today will come to know Jesus? And when people preach Jesus and come to know Jesus, it warrants joy. Because this is good news, the greatest news that we should all want for others. But what does that benefit me, though, Trey? Yes, the gospel is being preached. Yes, others are coming to know Jesus. I'm already, I've been saved. I've been following Jesus for 30 plus years. How does that bring me joy? What does that benefit me? Isn't that what we're taught joy is? What benefits us? That something happens for us? What if the greatest thing that could ever happen to you on this planet already happened, that you decided to follow Jesus? And now somebody else is experiencing the greatest joy that they could ever find following Jesus. What if we got joy from that? From not what does this benefit me? It's just this benefits you. This benefits the church. This benefits heaven. What if we rejoice and found joy knowing that the kingdom is advancing, hell is being robbed, and heaven, and heaven is getting more crowded? What if that brought us joy rather than we're upset about who transferred to what church? We're just glad that the church is growing, that the kingdom is advancing. What if that brought us joy? That would be, that would be great, and that's what Paul is saying. That's what God is teaching us. Find joy in this. If you're like, well, I've never really thought about it like that. I've never really found joy. Let this be the start of a path to finding true biblical joy in your life. That, that is our ultimate hope over our, our immediate fear. That no matter what is happening in our world, that people are coming to know Jesus, and that brings joy to my soul. Second thought. There is joy when we have courage that we can win and that death is not the end. There is joy when we can have courage that we can win and death is not the end. We continue on in Philippians verses 20 through 26. It says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in my body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in my body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I know there's a lot of like, I want to do this, but I want to do that, but I'm convinced of this, even though I want to do this, and I'm convinced, and it can sometimes get confusing. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I long to be with Jesus so badly that I am willing to preach the gospel until somebody just straight up kills me. And if somebody does kill me, even better! 
Because I'm leaving this place, and I'm going to be with him in a perfected body, in a perfected place where there are no tears, there are no pain, only rejoicing. This place, for a lot of us, is ultimate. All of our chips in are on this thing called our, our, our life on earth. Whenever Paul and God's word clearly teach a different practice that you and I need to be practicing. And yes, this takes faith. But here's what Paul is saying. If you ever played checkers or chess, you get to this point where you're playing, let's go with chess, and you're playing this game, and it gets to the point where your opponent gets you in this thing called checkmate. Where you can't move here, you, can't, you just can't win. And whenever you decided to follow Jesus, here's what you did. You put the enemy in a checkmate. That the enemy is saying, listen, here's what could happen. You could die. And Paul is saying, if I live with Christ, but to die is gain. Well, we'll just put you in prison. I'll write a letter about joy to a church. <laughs> well, well, um, well, uh, what else do we have? Threaten to kill him again. Well, we'll kill you. Bring it on. I want to die. Like, oh, hold up, hold up, Paul. Like, he's like, no, if I die here. I will become a modern. The gospel will advance even farther. If I die here, I get to be with Jesus. Dang it. Now what do we have? We have nothing on him other than just make this life difficult in the process. What if that was our mindset? That all we do is win. Right? Shout out T-Pain. Right? Like all we do is win no matter what. And that death was not actually the end. That would give us a hope, right? That the enemy could be like, hey, I'm going to really mess up the economy. Who cares? I'm not taking that with me anyways. Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to make it to where on social media people seem like they're against the church. Good luck. I, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, we're still going to go reach my neighbor. Well, I'm going I'm, I'm to make you fearful by, by doing this or doing that. And we're just like, bring it on. Like, I'm going to go to bed at night knowing good and well that my hope is not here on this earth. And that gives me joy. Not from circumstances, but from an eternal perspective that Jesus is with me. And even, even though he's with me now, when I pass from this life onto the next, that he will never leave my sight. In fact, I will be with him in the flesh in heaven. When you decided to follow Jesus, you're on the winning team. That when Christ stepped out of that grave... He is now, therefore, the undefeated of ch champion of heaven. And he offers that victory and that undefeated champion record and title and merit onto your soul whenever you choose to follow him. Why? Because what happens to Christians after death? Let me remind you again. Your body goes to the ground while your soul goes on to God. And our citizenship is in heaven, not here. And one day we will be reunited with a new body, free from disease, free from pain, and there will also be a great kingdom slash family reunion that will take place. It is scary to think about death. I get it. 
but here's why funerals for those who follow Jesus is more of a celebration than it is mourning. Because we know where they are. And even though we can't hold their hand, we know whose hand they are holding, and his name is Jesus. And we know that one day when we pass from this earth to the next, we will see them again. And there will be this big family reunion in heaven. For all of this, and we can look back and say this was worth it. This was worth it. Third and final thought is this. There is joy when we stop walking in fear and start walking courageously. We continue on, and we're going to finish up with these two verses. It says this, starting in verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in me, but also to suffer for him. And since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. I went and saw, I don't know if you like scary movies, but I, I hate them, like passionately. Um, but I was dating this girl in high school, and she loved scary movies, so you do what you got to do, you know. And um, I went to see the scary movie with her, and she laughed the whole way through. That was her one and only date. And um, she laughed the whole way through, and I'm like, like doing like the, like the, I want to know what's going on, but at the same time, like, I, I'd rather you, I'd rather not know. Um, and I was like, why, like, why aren't you scared? She's like, oh, I just know that, like, this isn't real. And I'm like, but yeah, but, like, you weren't scared at all. Like, even, like, when jump, like, jump scares happened, she's like, no, I thought they were funny. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, um, but the, the, the reason is this, that they were walking in confidence that they knew that that had no effect on them. And when we don't give in to fear, it preaches that who we believe Jesus to be has to be true. That when we believe and declare and sing and praise and, and tell people and post on social media that he's a deliverer, a healer, a savior, a refuge, a, a, a stronghold, a mighty tower, a fortress for us. And whenever the slightest of inconvenience happens, we crumble. It preaches that maybe Jesus isn't who we proclaim he is actually. But whenever we rest in him, whenever we find joy and satisfaction in him, whenever life goes against us and we stand strong, it preaches to the rest of the world that maybe Jesus is actually who he says he is. And God wants to remind you of this so that way you can be walking lights in a dark world. His words, which should saturate our souls, remind us of these things. I want to remind you, God promised struggle. He didn't say life would be struggle-free. He promised the struggle. But here's what I want to tell you. If God was right about the struggle, he'll be right about the victory. There are a lot of I don't knows in this life. I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know what the ne how the next election is going to play out. I don't know what the future of your family is going to look like. I don't know what the future of the one that's in the hospitals, how that story is going to play out. I don't know. There are a lot of I don't knows in this life. But here's what I do know. Isaiah 3.10, this is what Jesus says to us. This is what God's word says to us. Tell the righteous, it will be well with them. And you have the promise in Isaiah 43, verses 2 through 3, it says this. When you pass through waters, 
I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not step over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. Even the valley of the shadow of death, you make it through. Who else can give you that kind of hope? Who else can give you that kind of confidence? Who else can give you that kind of strength? Who else can give you that kind of hope? None other than Jesus. So I ask you, who or what has robbed you of your joy? Who or what has robbed you of hope? And there is only one that can restore, and his name is Jesus. So let me remind you again of the truth of Scripture, that our ultimate hope is greater than our immediate fear. And I get it. I do not know what the future of this world will look like for my two boys. I don't know. I don't know what the future of this country looks like like for my two sons. I don't know. There's a lot of I don't knows in this life. But here's what I do know in the middle of the unknown, that there is a God who is known. And he is faithful. He is consistent. He is constant. He is good. He is ever loving. He is everlasting. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the goodness of God we read about in scripture is still the goodness of God today. It will be the goodness of God a thousand years ago. If we are, if this earth is still existing, it will be the goodness of God for eternity. And that is the God I know in the middle of the unknown. And that is my hope. And that should be your hope. That should be my hope. That no matter what the world says, they can discourage, they can discriminate, they can talk down, they can belittle, they can make fun for our faith. But I'm here to tell you that our faith is the only faith that has an eternal hope. Not based on our performance, but based on the performance of a person named Jesus. Because let me remind you, this whole thing exists not because we worked our way to heaven, but because heaven stepped down and heaven said I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way and like Jesus said like God said in Isaiah 43 that I'm going to make a way so that when you walk through fires you won't be burned that when you go through rivers it will not overtake you and like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament and Daniel, when King Nebuchadnezzar said, bow to the statue that is myself, bow to the statue that is culture, bow to the statue that is peer pressure, bow to the statue, then you insert your own struggle that Shadrach, and Amish, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego stayed standing and they said no. Everybody else bowed, but they said no. And he goes, bow down before this statue or there is a fire pit that I will throw the three of you in it. And they go, No. We're not bowing. So Nebuchadnezzar takes them to the front of this fire pit, and he says, make it seven times hotter. It got so hot that it's recorded in Daniel that the people that were making the fire hotter, because they got close, they weren't in the fire, but because they got close enough, they died immediately because it was so hot, and they were that close to it. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll give you one more chance. Bow down to this. And for you and for me, this is, I feel like what the enemy is trying to tell me this morning, tell you this morning, bow down to fear. Bow down to depression, bow down to anxiety, bow down to uncertainty once we leave this, 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 this church, once we leave this place. Bow down when you see the gas prices are going up and you don't know how you're going to fill up your tank to make it to work the next day. Bow down to fear, bow down to hopelessness, bow down to faithlessness, bow down to it all. I encourage you and implore you as a church to stand, not out of self-confidence, but in the fact of this confidence. This is what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had to say. You can throw us in that furnace, but here's what's going to happen. Our God will deliver us. Our God will keep us and sustain us. 
But even if he doesn't in this life, my God is still good. So Nebuchadnezzar throws them in. A couple minutes go by, and they look in, and they go, how many men did we throw in that furnace? Well, we threw three men in, sir. There's four in there right now. And scripture records that it was Jesus standing in the fire with them. They were not being burned. They were not suffocating. In fact, when they got out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. So I'm here to tell you, if God does a miracle in your life and you see him come through in provisionary needs temporarily in our earth today, I'm here to tell you, rejoice, be glad in it. It is amazing when God does the miraculous. But I'm here to tell you, if things don't go your way or how you thought or hoped or prayed in which they would go, I'm here to tell you that God will still deliver. God will still redeem. Why? Why? How do I know this? Because here's what I know. On the other side of this struggle... The eternal reward is Jesus. And that's why Paul can say, and that's why we can stay and say, our ultimate hope is greater than our immediate fear. Paul said, kill me, I don't care. I'm going home. Because I'm just passing through. Is that your hope? Do you have that hope this morning? That come hell or high water, you're going to be okay. Would you bow your head and close your eyes really quick? Nobody's looking around. It's just this moment. If you don't have that hope this morning, and let me tell you, friends, eternity is too long to be wrong. If you don't have this hope this morning in the person of Jesus, who is hope, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. To where you know no matter what happens in this life where you're going. You know no matter what happens in this life, you know who's with you. You know that no matter what happens in this life that you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You have a savior. You have a king. You have a shepherd. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to say this prayer. And if you want to accept Jesus and decide to follow Jesus this morning, just repeat this prayer after me. God's word says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. I'm not requiring you to rid yourself of your own old life. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to repeat this prayer after me in faith, believing in your heart that what you're about to say is true. So if that's you this morning, you want to follow Jesus, would you just repeat this prayer after me? You can say it out loud. You can repeat it quietly in your heart, but just believe it. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for another day not promised. I confess I am a sinner. I have missed the mark of perfection, and I need a perfect Savior. And I believe that to be Jesus. I believe Jesus died and rose again and is alive today. And I choose to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Thank you for your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or this is actually the first time that you've meant it and prayed it. Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand so I know how to pray for you? Is there anybody like that in this room? Thank you. Anybody else? Is anybody else like that this morning? Okay. In this moment, I know there's a lot going on in our world and a lot going on, and it's just scary. We're going to sing this song. 
And we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in faith. Here's something that I want us to do that we haven't done yet, but it's been done. Maybe you've grown up in church and it's been done. <coughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's more of a symbol than it is anything, but um, down front is what typically in church we call an altar. And an altar in the Old Testament is where you bring things, sacrifices, to lay before God to die. You say, God, take this. Take this. And I'm here to tell you, we don't need to do that for salvation in the New Testament church era. But here's what, here's what the altar symbolizes. Here's what I want to symbolize for you today. Bring your fear to the altar and leave it. Don't take it back with you. Don't bring it back to your seat with you. Come before God. Spend time in prayer and say, God, I've been fearing for my kids. God, I've been fearing for this. I've been fearing about that. I've been hopeless. I've been faithless. And God, I'm bringing my hopelessness. I'm bringing my faithlessness. I'm bringing my fear to you, to the altar, and I'm leaving it, and you consume it. You deal with it. You do whatever you got to do, but I'm leaving free. I'm leaving I'm leaving lighter than I did so that way I can run the race that you have called me to run free without any baggage from my past, without any baggage from my hopelessness. I'm running after you. So when we start to sing the song, and I'm about to pray once I say amen, you can make your way down. You can ask somebody to come and pray with you. I'll be down here if you want to pray with somebody. Danny will be down here if you want to pray with somebody. Let this just be a time where we just spend time as a church responding in song, responding in prayer, and bringing our desires to the altar of God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. We praise you. We sing your truths. We sing your praises. God, we honor you. We adore you. And we're thankful for you. Thank you for the hope that is in Christ Jesus, which is greater than our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.